is Chelsea Higgs Wise. And I decided to start a show about being the biracial girl who was living her life, being half and half, never picking a side until one day the world informed me, girl, you're black. I'm from the This is Chelsea Higgs Wise, and you're listening to Race Capital. It is May 1st, but we are actually coming at you on April 23rd, still feeling the energy from the city council meeting that happened last night. Boom. <laughs> it was pretty eventful as the conversations talked about the budget and the proposed budget that had come from the mayor. Many people, they said it was over 100 people came to advocate around the budget. And we heard things about schools, teachers' raises, trees, admission taxes on musicians. Yeah, people didn't like that. Yeah, they didn't like that. I'm really interested to find out more about that, by the way. I mean, no BS brass guy showed up in a suit. Right. That was... I was listening at that point. <laughs> I was like, oh, now I'm here. for. I, I need to know more about this piece of the tax, right? But yeah, folks came down and really understanding the pressure that these elected officials are having to feel by hearing all of these voices and the different voices that are happening. Yeah, and there was a lot of talk, too, about privilege and how it's incumbent upon folks with privilege to realize, to put in their pool to realize a more equitable school system in Richmond. Yeah, like white people mm -hmm. coming to talk about their privilege in the first district and the fourth district and saying it's not about them and they need to recognize what what needs to happen in other districts. Mm -hmm. I was doing a little happy dance at those parts. And so today we really had a great conversation that you'll hear in just a few minutes with Tyrone Nelson, who's on the Board of Supervisors in Henrico. He's actually the second elected official to that board that is African-American, which seems wild, but you know. It's 2019. It's 2019. He's also a pastor at a historic church here in Jackson Ward. He'll tell us a little bit about that. And we've also invited Tykeen Cooper, who's executive director of Virginia Excels, that does a lot of this advocacy work around Richmond Public Schools as well. So understanding that these conversations are so important to the city, as well as to the region at large, and then the nation, that of course, the former capital of the Confederacy is a microcosm of the world and the nation that's having the conversations about equity, budgeting, and who do we fund and who do we value with our dollars? Yeah, we have teachers marching all across the city demanding more dollars for education. And it's a wonder why they have to put in so much effort. Like, why are people having to beg and plead for this? And that's what happened at the, at the council meeting. Like, I literally was like, wow, school board members have come down here and are begging the yeah. council. That is wild. But as we will hear and we are seeing and learn that it takes those types of efforts to create the political will, the political cover, whatever we're saying it takes to get folks to move from the status quo to just do the right thing. And somebody even said that. I love that last night. Somebody said, do the right thing. Yeah, that's pretty much that. But, you know, I, I get it. We have not all been taught what the right thing is and we don't see it. And if we don't continue to point it out and make some noise around it. And folks are going to continue to move forward and left and some folks will be left behind. So it remains to be seen <laughs> if they will do the right thing. We will see. We will see. So we'll continue to follow that. 
turning our attention to Henrico, we see that there are some decisions being made, some moves being made forward in the right direction, not just now, but a couple of years in the making. And we're going to talk about those with Board of Supervisor member Tyrone Nelson. And a little bit later, we'll be joined by Virginia XL's Executive Director, Ty King Cooper. We have Board of Supervisors member Tyrone Nelson here on the show. Thanks so much for being here, Tyrone. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Cool, cool. So why don't you give the listeners just a little bit about who you are and what you do around Metro Richmond? Well, currently I am serving my second term Mm -hmm. ending. This is the last year of a four-year term on Henrico County's Board of Supervisors. I also am the pastor of Six Mount Zion Baptist Church, where I have just started my 15th year there. Wow. So I started uh, pastoring, wow, I got to think about it, uh, April 2005 Mm -hmm. in uh, Jackson Ward at Six Mount Zion Baptist Church. I'm the seventh pastor there. Church is now 151, almost 152 years old. Wow. Richmond Landmark, yeah. Yep. And um, so I grew up in the city. Okay. And but I'm I'm from a little community in Henrico County called Gravel Hill, which is mm. um, one of the first freed slave landmarks for African Americans. And so um, our my uh, ancestors were mm-hmm. freed in the late 18th century. Yeah, and uh, given some land and freed, and my family pretty much built from there. Yeah, Gravel Hill's got some really deep history here in Richmond, especially for Black Richmonders and a lot of the peasants, fam- Pleasant's family, and yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's where we started in essence. And mm-hmm. so, little known fact, Lamont Delegate Lamont Bagby and I are, are cousins. So, mm-hmm. his uh great 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 grandfather, I think, and my great great grandfather were like. Um, brothers, I think. Okay. Yeah. So okay. Um, got some elected official synergy here. Yeah, yeah. Dolores McQuinn, I think, is connected to our family too. Wow. So in some way. So all of us are from that whole Eastern Henrico piece. So so I was born in Eastern Henrico, and my mom met my stepfather, and and we moved to uh, well, she moved to Bird Park, and I I had to move with her. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so I think I think I came to Richmond when I was seven, and I went to a now closed uh, Robert E. Lee Elementary School. Okay, and I think that was on Kingsington and um, Albert H. Hill, Thomas Jefferson High School. Mm-hmm. I graduated from TJ in 1991. Proud member. I went to uh, I only applied to two schools when I left high school: uh, Virginia Tech and ODU. And I decided to go to ODU. I was a sheltered kid, <laughs> um, and so. I went to ODU and, um, yeah, just, just kind of found myself. Found in, in, yourself. In, in a way that was not productive to my schooling. So <laughs> I was only there for a, a year. I don't know if I ended up on academic warning or academic suspension. But anyway, my Norfolk, my Norfolk career was short-lived. Gotcha. So came back here, started working. I applied to VCU, got accepted, went for a semester, and just realized at the time school just wasn't. I just really wasn't focused on it. Mm-hmm. So I started working. My uncle at the time, and you know, I probably say this, he was the first African-American millionaire that I knew. Mm. And this is my mom's brother. Uh, he was an entrepreneur. He had an oil company, had rental houses, a gas station, car wash, all of that stuff. So, And where was he located? Uh, he was in the um, 
the east end of the city in Church Hill. Okay. But some bad business decisions ended up making it kind of short-lived. Mm-hmm. So I think he, he went hard for about a decade. Okay. And so um, anyway, some bad business decisions. and um, But by that time, I was able to work for him and, you know, some of the stuff he was doing. Mm-hmm. And then I applied to J. Sergeant Reynolds, which I'm a great proponent of J. Sergeant. Mm-hmm. You know, J. Sergeant gave me my confidence. Hmm. Smaller classrooms. Um, I realized that I, I, I wasn't dumb. <laughs> you know, I just right. made bad decisions, and so I started getting A's and B's, and mm. finished that up real quick. In the meantime, I started working for this little, well, a company called Standard Drug. Okay. That was eaten up by People's Drug, oh. and CVS purchased People's Drug. Right. I remember People's. Yeah. So I did that for, for a while. I worked. Mm-hmm. I left CVS Pharmacy in 2002 as a, um, I was a store manager for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So then I went into ministry full time. That was uh, 2002, the summer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you started with six months? No, I worked three years for an organization called the Baptist General Convention. So it's a state African-American Baptist church group that at the time I was there, it was about a thousand churches. So it was a a Virginia thing. Mm-hmm. So we had travel all I used to work I was a youth director for three years. Wow. And um well actually two years and nine months. And then uh ended up at uh six miles Zion. Okay. Yeah, so I applied and um they ended up calling me in April two thousand fifteen. Very nice. So is that that Virginia Baptist network, is that still existing? Yeah, yeah, it's right. The building itself is on the campus. It's um so it's right beside the police headquarters on Graham. Okay, so a VUU campus. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. yep. So yep. VUU actually gave the land and the, gave the land to the Baptist General Convention for a dollar. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what made you go from business to ministry? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, you know, that's <laughs> a. I felt called to ministry, so it's just a weird thing. So, like, unless you're a preacher, it's kind of. So I felt like I was supposed to be doing something in ministry. And uh, I was young. This is like, tw- I was like 22 or 23, so it was around 95, 96. And I didn't like preach my first sermon until January 1998. And then I ended up as a youth minister in two different churches at the same time I started in June. So one was in the city, Mount Vernon Baptist Church, which is on Rosewood. And then I would ride out to um, Goochland, Maidens, Virginia, wow. to this place called St. Mark that I would go out there one weekend a month. The rest of the time I was at Mount Vernon. So I always felt like I wanted to do ministry, but I had started at Standard Drug when I was like 19 or 20. Was the church a big part of your growing up? Yeah, so yes. So Gravel Hill, the community, like the center of Gravel Hill is the church. So it's Gravel Hill Baptist Church. Now across the street from the church is a building called Gravel Hill Recreation. So if you go down to Gravel Hill, like at the intersection of Carter's Mill and Long Bridge, and just spread out, mm-hmm. probably within a five or ten mile radius, most of the African American people down there are either my cousin, aunt, mm-hmm. uncle, married to my family, or something. The kinfolk. So, yeah. So the the church was the hub. So that's where we got together every Sunday. My family, up until my grandmother passed in 2010, literally. Every Sunday we had dinner at our house. Mm. So it was the expectation, I don't care how old you were or what, mm-hmm. you go to church and then you go to her house and eat. Yep. And up until about a month before she passed, uh, she was still cooking mm. the whole meal every week. 
And so I don't know how I got on that. But anyway, that's, um, <laughs> that's yeah, important. Yeah. So, the, so the church was an important part. My my mother's a minister. My, my, my dad is a deacon, but they both at my church now. But they were at Gravel Hill. Uh, my uncle's a deacon, my aunt's a trustee. So uh, most of my family, they're in some leadership role mm-hmm. in a church somewhere. So, oh. yeah. So it was, um, the expectation was that's what you did. So you start pastoring and, and really diving into the community of that point. How long were you, how was that journey and that transition for you? And right. where in your personal life, too, where were you? I know you're a family man now. What did that kind of look like 15 years ago? So I kind of got involved in the community earlier. So I was um, William Rico County NAACP back in the late 90s. Like I was a second vice or first vice or something like that. So I always kind of had an interest in working in the community. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of correlated to the ministry part of it. And I never kind of lost that. I met my wife uh, back in the mid-90s, so both of us was kind of young. I think I was 25, she was 22, 23 when we got married. Um, we had kids kind of early, and so actually it was my son, my my oldest child is my son, so he was going into kindergarten at a school in Verona. So it's a split school in Verona, Mayfoot, which is kindergarten through second, and then Verona elementary third through fifth, and we went for the... Um, whatever the you know you go in for the um transition into mm-hmm. so we went and we you know we went to meet his teacher teachers etc mm-hmm. and um i walked around the school and realized that there were no african-american there were no minorities in that school period working but okay. the school was was 50 50 so mm-hmm. 50 non-minorities mm-hmm. So as we're hearing the story with you, Tyrone, we did have a guest come in, Mr. Ty King Cooper, that we'll introduce in just a second. But want you to be able to continue this really interesting moment where you're walking in and recognizing that there just are no faculty staff of right. color at your child's elementary school. So there is a, a resource teacher, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, she was an African-American person. But everybody else was literally either working in the kitchen or mm. cleaning the building. Mm. And like I said, the school was half and half. So, you know, I asked the principal and um, kind of got the blow-off answer. So they told me to go to Human Resources, and you know, which I did. And I went all the way up that, that went all the way up the ladder. And the more people I talked to, the more frustrated it made me. So, mm. at that point, you know, I was like, you know, there's something got to change. So right. we went through his kindergarten year. I didn't see much change. So 2006, I decided that I wanted to be a part of some transition. So um, I decided to run for school board. Didn't okay. know anything. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, really had no clue. All I knew was I felt like I could get some support. Mm-hmm. So I ran 2007, and we did okay. You know, we, we lost mm-hmm. to, the, to the guy that's currently in the seat, which ironically. He's been um, there for 12 years. Yeah, he's been there for 12 years. He's done now. He, oh. he was relatively young when he when he started, doing a good job, mm-hmm. you know. But it's just funny, and maybe we'll talk about this later. But I lost to him in '07, um, and he won by maybe 17 percent of the vote. It was three of us: two African Americans, one white man. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Verona has continued to evolve. Mm-hmm. Where now is like 65 percent Democrat, 55 um, percent African American. But at the point, at the time when I ran, any race with two African-Americans, you were going to lose. 
Um, so anyway, I pretty much vowed that I was never going to get in politics again. Lies. You know, I, yeah. I don't, I don't like losing. I think I went into like a depression. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we had an event scheduled that night. Um, I remember calling John Montgomery, congratulating him, and then just going home. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think I came out of the house for like several days. Mm-hmm. And then I just threw myself into my church work. Mm-hmm. And uh, 2011 rolled around, and I let some people talk me into running again, but this time it turned out different. Right, so. right. So they talked you into running again. Yeah, right. and, and and it's set up, it's set up kind of good. So from 08 to 11 at the church, when we just were doing some, like some really solid community stuff, mm-hmm. you know. So and so I really got my passion to really kind of want to continue to work, and I I realized that I'm never going to be okay just pastoring the church, and that's it. Like mm-hmm. I know that's just not me. Mm-hmm. So if I just got to sit in the church all week and do nothing else, yeah. just write sermons, teach Bible studies, then I would I would literally die. So I'm thankful that I've got a church that allows me to do what I do right. in the church and outside the church. Right. Yeah. So speaking of men that are engaged in the community and want to do more with the community, hey, Tykeen. What's up? How are you? I'm doing well. So Tykeen is a good friend of mine. We talk about politics all the time, talk about what's happening in the city. So I wanted him to come on, tell us a little bit about the work he's doing, but also just be a voice in this conversation, especially since we are looking at another budget in Henrico that's happening and being decided on. But really quickly, tell us what you do here in the city of Richmond, Tykeen. Yes, so I'm a native of Farmville, the big city of the metropolis of Farmville, um, product of Prince Edward County Public Schools and a graduate of University of North Carolina. And so I'm here in the city now doing some education advocacy work Mm -hmm. as executive director of Virginia Excels, which is designed to amplify the voices of students and families from historically marginalized and underrepresented communities. Very cool. Very cool. What else do you do outside of Virginia Excels? Um, Big question. I fish. (laughs) (laughs) I cycle. I do a lot of, I write. I'm active on social media. Yeah. You might have heard, seen some of the writing uh, with Ty He's written a little bit about the Richmond City budget. Sure. Opinion on that. And uh, and I've been involved politically for 20 years this year. Wow. You look like a young man. (laughs) Uh, I'll be 31 next month, but I first got involved at 11. Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, what's your, uh, for the social media world that wants to follow you? Uh-oh. What's, what's your tags and stuff? Uh, Tykeen Cooper. That's T as in Tom, A-I-K as in Key, E-I-N as in November. Cooper, C-O-O-P-E-R. Well, I think I'm already following. Yeah, we got a new follower. Yeah. Yeah, and... um. That's me. There you go. Imagine possibilities. <laughs> Tykeen is uh, somewhat of a millennial voice around Virginia politics, and we're thankful to have him. So I want to invite you, Tykeen, to enter in with this interview with Tyrone with any of the questions that you may have. And he's getting to the point where telling us a little bit how you got into this role of Board of Supervisors. So like I said, we were kind of doing some things at the church. I'm a Richmond boy, pretty much. So I would say Richmond region. You know, my family's in Rico. I grew up um, in the city at the Boys and Girls Club, you know, at Alba Hill, uh, you know, TJ, running around Bird Park. You know, that's um, that's that's what I did. So it was interesting because a lot of people don't get called to churches in the city. 
where they grew up, but mm-hmm. ended up, um, you know, ended up in Jackson Ward. So I already had a base of folk that already knew me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so first couple of years went well. And uh, 2011 came around and it it worked because of the census, I think, if I can remember. The filing deadline wasn't until August the 23rd, 2011, mm-hmm. where usually it would have been the second week in June mm-hmm. on primary day. And so we got two extra months that we did not have to campaign, which worked. And I kind of waited, and we were strategic. The guy that was in the seat had been in there for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Another um, young man who had run against him four years ago was running again, and this time it was flipped from 07. So it was two Republicans running against each other, and we literally waited until the last day mm-hmm. and filed on the last day. Strategy. Yeah, and we um, and we ended up winning. Shannon Taylor, and, uh, Shannon Taylor, who's the Commonwealth attorney, mm-hmm. both of us w- had the same campaign team, ran hey. as a unit. Hey, and, Shannon. Yep. And um, and we were elected. I ended up, I think, 54, 54. It was 54, 35, 11, or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, We've been rolling ever since. So, yeah. How does it look this year for you? Do you have an opponent or? Mm, no. And hopefully we won't talk one up. But, I mean, it, there's somebody out there who says they're going to run, but we haven't heard anything last couple of weeks. Um, but if they do, I feel pretty good about what we've done over sure. the eight years, in particular over the last four years. And I feel like we've, um, we're doing some things in the, in the district that's making a difference. So. The district is huge. We're around them. So, like, Henrico is like a big horseshoe if you stand over top of it. Mm-hmm. And it's the left side of it, if you stand over top of it, looks a little swollen. And that's west of Henrico. Mm-hmm. I represent from almost the center all the way over to the right. So, 54% of the land mass is Orana. The other 46 is the other four districts. Mm. All of us represent about somewhere between 63 and 69,000 people. Mm-hmm. So I have the largest land mass, but the smaller group of people, 63,000. Yeah. So next year when the census hits again, my district will become bigger okay. because the development has uh, historically taken place in the western part of the county. Mm-hmm. And so that's why when we have these east-west conversations, it's not even, it can't, Yeah. it's not even a really legitimate conversation because you've got about 200 and 10,000 people mm-hmm. in the western part of the county and only about 60-some thousand in the east. Wow. So. For people that may not know, can you explain a little bit about the east-west discussion in Henrico? Um, when you look at the western part, I mean, it's, you know, if you drive through it, you see it. I mean, it's a lot of residential units. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got Short Pump Mall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you have newer high schools. Mm-hmm. And in the east, you know, the population is kind of condensed in certain corridors up and up and down Laburnum or Williamsburg. But the further east you go, you may find a house once, you know, one house every one or two miles. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have the population density to, that calls for some of the business movement that we would like to see happen in the east. So, sure. I mean, clearly, I don't want to ride to the west end and spend my money. I try my best not to. Right. Um, but... So on a show called Race Capital, mm-hmm. what can you tell us a little bit about the racial dynamics with East, West, and Henrico? So we have district-wise from the cent- from the central from the center right is Fairfield and Verona. So like I said, Verona has 
I think 55% African-Americans, maybe 5% non-African-Americans, non-white. Fairfield district is probably 70 to 80%. So the greater majority of my African-Americans live in Verona and Fairfield. Mm -hmm. We have a larger minority demographic in the Western portion that is non-African-American, non-white. Mm. So Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But still, the white population is, is higher in the Western part. Mm-hmm. So is the um, so is the household income, et cetera. Right, so, right. Yeah, so your district kind of runs, so the Capitol Trail kind of runs through your district, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, just being a Richmonder and growing up around here, you know, it's like uh, east side, west side, you know, everywhere, uh, everywhere, right? It's this. It's Chesterfield. Hello. It's it's in Rico. Yeah. It's Richmond. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We know which side we're on just by looking around. Yeah. We know where the money is spent. Who has access to certain things that they need? Right. Whether that's food, healthcare, right. trans, public transportation, which right. is a big conversation. So, but you are in the the east. Yeah. part of that where you may see more of the disparities, mm-hmm. pe- black people specifically, that are getting that. So how does that conversation come about with budget conversations, things that you are talking about right now that you all are working on right now? So let me go back. And and some of this stuff is, and we, you know, you know, I mean, it's, decade, mm. it's decades ago of this. Mm-hmm. So when you go back and look at how communities come about, came about, et cetera. Like if you go to a new bridge off of Nine Mile Road, mm-hmm. clearly you see an intentionalized effort of apartments, townhomes, et cetera, that are now subsidized, you know. And you go out to the West End and you see the the, the corridor that starts at Innsbruck and pretty much runs now into Goochland. Right. That was intentional as well. I mean, it was intentional to keep certain groups out. You know, I, I give an example of this. We literally just started bus transportation extension to Short Pump last year. Mm. All right, and so mm. that wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. And I still say this. Others on my board would, you know, they get upset when I say this. But the truth is, if we did not elect a third Democrat in November of 2017, mm-hmm. even though she only hung around for six months, during those six months, we were able to, in the budget last year, get the additional funding to extend transportation, public transportation into short pole. So what does your the board look like now as far as Republicans, Democrats? Three, two, uh, Republican, Democrat. It was... Well, I guess prior to the 50s, you know, when Democrats were really now Republicans or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's say since civil rights era, the Henrico County Board of Supervisors has only had a Democratic majority for six months. Wow. And that's like six decades. Damn. So in 2017, November 2017, we elected where the citizens of Brooklyn elected Courtney Lynch. Okay. She resigned in June of 2018. But in that eight months, I guess, seven or eight months, mm-hmm. public transportation came. Mm-hmm. Um, now we, we're we going to build a, a, a public pool in partnership with the Y. Hmm. We, we had no public swimming. Right. 
we started the conversation about this whole indoor convocation center. Mm-hmm. We were able to push the ball with some with some projects in schools. So we were able to do some things. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like you guys and yeah. that little bit of time we were able to really yeah, put so people you know, you know, is is local politics, you know, people will say it doesn't matter, but the the, the ideology of it does matter. Mm-hmm. And so the person that you have on board matters. Yeah. So when I came on the board in January 1, t- 2012, um, in 2013, we were talking about a meals tax. So we were on the back end of what the recession had, had done. Mm-hmm. And we had a whole lot of school projects. At that point, we had just added a second Democrat. So this is why I respect people like Frank Thornton, mm-hmm. right? So Mr. Thornton has like two or three primary opponents this year. You know, and it's part of the reason why I respect the man is because he was in the room by himself for 16 years. Right. And that's, yeah. And just to clarify, who is that exactly? Oh, I'm sorry. Frank Thornton is, is um, he represents the Fairfield District. And so we've got five districts, Three Chop. Three Chop and Tuckahoe are primarily West End. Brooklyn is a little central into the West End. And then Fairfield and Verona are what they consider East End. And Frank Thornton was the, is outside of me the only other, um, he's, he was the first African-American elected mm. in Henrico County. And there's wow. only been two of us. In the 400-year history. And, w- and what was he elected? <laughs> he was elected in uh, 1995. And he um, he first ran in 87, lost. Then in 91, he ran, lost by three votes, mm-hmm. three votes. And then in 95, he, he won the seat. Wow. After a whole lawsuit over the district's makeup. Okay. So what happened was there was some intentionality with that. So they pretty much— Grouped all the black folk in mm-hmm. and made Fairfield a black district. Right. And so he won then. Right. The Department of Justice lawsuit? Yeah, I think so. Shout yeah. out to Janet Reno. <laughs> yep. So, um, you know, since then, Verona has become a middle class place for African Americans. Right. Yeah. So now you asked how, I think you asked how that plays out into the budget. Yeah, because, you know, here in Richmond, we've got all independents <laughs> that are on our, our city council. But and we are having this budget conversation and to a lot of us, it's a pretty clear split and we can usually predict how people are going to vote. But, yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about how you all work together on these budget conversations. So can I just back up and just and I think we talked about this before we went on the air, just the difference. Mm -hmm. So Chesterfield has a county administrator. We have a county manager. The city has an elected mayor. But prior to this, had a city manager. Mm-hmm. So the city manager and county manager form of government are pretty similar. Mm-hmm. So the only difference between a county administrator and a county manager is in Chesterfield, the board of supervisors is responsible for hiring the county man, the county administrator, the police chief, and like somebody else. So it's like they got three employees. Mm-hmm. And in Rico, we only have one. It's the county manager. Everybody else that's on the general government side, works for the county manager. Superintendent works for the school board, same here in Richmond. Mm-hmm. So it, it it kind of allows for the for a different flow of government. Mm-hmm. So in Henrico, there has been a historical, well, a, a traditional route of training up folk inside and promoting them. So there's some longevity that happens in the county. So our current county manager has been the county manager I think for six years, and but he had twenty, well he had sixteen years prior to that. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So he was the budget analyst and the budget director and finance. You know, so he moved up the route. Mm-hmm. So um, I can't say that will happen in the future just because prior to me being elected, that board had been together for 16 years. Wow. When I came on the board, I think two of my colleagues were in their 80s mm. or late 70s, mm-hmm. and the other two were in their 60s. Mm. You know, I still laugh. And it was 2011, and, you know, the county manager at the time, Virgil Hayes, was like, you know, I'm sending the tech guy to your house, and uh, we got to install a fax machine and give you a um, desktop. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> yeah, and they gave me a, and they gave, 30s, me a, right? they gave me a flip phone. Right, yeah, so this was, I mean, this was like eight years ago. And right. A flip phone? A flip phone, even eight years ago was, yeah. was, was crazy. Did so. they give you dial-up internet? No, I wouldn't let them give me anything. So they tried to, <laughs> they tried, I was like, listen. You just give me a smartphone, right? And I don't need any of the rest of that stuff. Like I don't need a, you know. He was like, "No, we got to give you something." So we're gonna give you a laptop, whatever. Okay, so I don't need a fax machine. A fax machine. I mean, it was, it was like crazy, and I never forget. You know, I was serving for like two months, and I was like, "Man, this is I'm not walking around with no a flip phone." So I gave the county manager flip phone back, and um, I was like, I, I, "Can you? I need you to give me like a smartphone, mm-hmm. right?" He literally put it, and it became a big deal. Like he put it in the minutes that that Tyrone Nelson requested a smartphone, oh and I'm goodness. like, first of all, this was not a part of a discussion. This was just me and you, mm-hmm. etc. So this kind of just shows that we were kind of we were like kind of archaic, right? Yeah. So you got to look at where where we were. Got to look at where we were and where where we are now. So how things look now. From a business perspective, it, it does make sense that a lot of businesses are going to go where people are. I mean, it's, it just is what it is. So mm-hmm. that's why you see uh, a short pump doing as well as it's doing. You know, we are, we've, we've got some movement in the private sector, but not as much as I would love to see. So In your district, you mean? Yeah, and, and yeah, up and down Laburnum, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we've, we we do now have a, a White Oak Shopping Center. We you know got a. I mean, this stuff sounds crazy, but like you got a Walmart and stuff like that, which we yeah. didn't have at first. So right. how how I feel like I can bring equity is to make sure that the money that we're spending on a local government level is dis, is dispersed equally, or that we balance, which is what we've been trying to do. So, give you a quick example of this. We never did rebuilds for schools. We did renovations. Okay. All right. Now, what has happened is we built we built schools based upon population. Mm-hmm. So where did the population increase? In the West End. So that's where you always got your new schools. You got your Glen Islands, your Deep Runs, and whatever else is over there. Mm-hmm. If we went purely on population, we would never get a new school mm-hmm. in East Ham Rico. Mm-hmm. So uh, last year, uh, maybe about this time last year, the well, 2016, a bond referendum called for us to put in some money for some rebuilds. The county manager and I, on one of these Chamber RVA trips, so shout out to Chamber RVA for anybody who says that nothing comes out of it. Mm-hmm. When we went to California, San Diego, three years ago, John and I slipped away and went and checked out the school high tech high. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it's just a different way of doing school that we don't really do on the East Coast. So, I mean, the kids, it, it's pretty much like a college, I mean, it's a high school campus. I mean, it's like a college campus on the high school level. Right. And so we, anyway, we wanted to do something innovative like that. So we came back, we got the school buy-in to 
add to the referendum $42 million for an Eastern Hemrico Innovation Center is what we would call it, Business Innovation Center. Wow. Partner with the business community. Let us know what the what the trades were, what the jobs were in the future. Mm-hmm. And we start kind of training our young people to, all right, so that's that was $42 million that the citizens voted in 2016. Okay. They also voted for a $55 million renovation project to J.R. Tucker High School. Okay. At the time, the estimate was to build a new high school at $80 million, mm-hmm. right? So you got a $55 million rebuild. doesn't really make sense to do a $55 million, I mean, renovation when they don't, you can build it for $80 million. Right. But we voted for it. And then a conversation started, well, I mean, why would we spend that much money at J.R. Tucker? So I'm like, listen, you, you cannot build a new high school. Mm-hmm. In anywhere in the central or western part of this county, and not do something. In the, and I, so I know mm. what I. So we got to look at a different model or whatever. Right. So end up looking at a different model. Long story short, we ended up, you know. So I had to pretty much I, I share with the county manager, and I'm just got to really I'm just got to go crazy in the public if you can do this. <laughs> right. So we um, said, well, let me see what we can come back with. Well, they came back with, let's build, we'll build a new Tucker High School, but we also want to build a brand new Highland Springs High School. Mm-hmm. Both of the projects, $95 million, state-of-the-art everything. Okay. And so when you talk about equity, I guess my point is, right. how do you as a representative on a local level bring equity? Mm-hmm. It's that way. Right. So, so how much do they cost to build two schools in Henrico? $95 million for high school. And how much do they cost to build three schools in Richmond? I don't remember. I think it's one one thirty, but I think they're elementary or something. Mm-hmm. Elementary school. Yeah. So yeah, so it, that's what yeah. we do. You know, and whether it's parks or schools or whatever. Right. It sounds a lot like the conversation I have with with Michael Jones in the ninth as well, is how he got two schools built in the south side was having to make some noise of we can't keep putting the new schools and the money that we have in the north side. And that's what especially black elected officials are having to say in those rooms as well as put it out to the community when you need do need to make some noise and why you all need that support as well. I mean, that's the only way we're going to make stuff happen. Yeah. You know. So I wanted to ask you, so I tweeted something this weekend. So I challenge pastors a lot on social media. Mm-hmm. And so I tweeted something this weekend, which got a little bit of pushback from a few folks. I said, I wonder how many preachers in the city will be talking about the budget for on Easter Sunday. And then I also said, like, I wonder how many preachers will talk about the Mueller report as well. Mm-hmm. And so, so many people said, oh, that's completely inappropriate on Easter. <laughs> but I, I just really wanted to hear from you as a pastor who's involved politically, mm-hmm. like, how do you, what are your thoughts on merging, like, those, those two things that a lot of times people say should be mutually exclusive, mm-hmm. but we know that they aren't. Yeah, I, I'm probably the wrong person to ask that. You know, I, I'm, we are a social justice focused church, so mm. we hear that all the time. I mean, it, it, um, I didn't say anything about the the Richmond budget, but you know, as it relates to equity and justice, I mean, that's just what we talk about on a regular basis at our church. So, I mean, we try to show it in our action, mm-hmm. and we try to preach and teach it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a. And I give an example. We brought in a guy, um, Dominique Du Bois Gilliard, who. Um, released a book last year, Rethinking Incarceration. Mm-hmm. So we brought him in for our social justice weekend last year. And that conversation that was intended for our church mm-hmm. actually impacted me as a as an elected official. Mm-hmm. So we we brought him in. So the the 
in October, we had um, our focus was on um, just the whole dynamic around same-sex relationships, marriages, all that mm -hmm. um, good stuff. And um, so we dealt with that in October, and then in December we brought in the incarceration piece. So our church is now trying to help Senator, trying to work with Senator Jennifer McClellan on some 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 language mm -hmm. um, about some 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 restoration efforts when people um, are released. Right. But then the the piece with Gilead is the county was talking about building a third jail because we were, you know, about two hundred people over capacity. Mm -hmm. You know, and that to me that's not enough. You need to find stuff on the front end so that people don't end up in jail. Period. Right. But that piece strengthened me. But it is these social justice kind of conversations that's happening in your church. Yeah, and the yeah. um and real really quickly for anyone that doesn't know what makes your church so historically relevant in the city of Richmond. Well, I guess you can't say that very quickly. Well, the founding pastor um, John Jasper was a slave, and he founded the church on Bell's Island. Mm -hmm. um, moved the church into Jackson Ward. Mm -hmm. He became known. It's, it wasn't the church, really. It was him mm -hmm. for preaching this um, sermon, The Sun Do Move. So pretty much, in essence, his whole thing was the 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 sun moved around, the earth stood still. Mm -hmm. You know, so it really was kind of like a flawed scientific philosophy. Right. And to be honest, I, you know, personally, I felt like white people were drawn to it because he also was very animated, mm. and they probably thought it was buffoonery. Right. You know, but he preached this sermon. 250 times plus all over the place. Mm -hmm. The church became one of the first mega churches in the area with thousands of people that joined it, et cetera. So John Jasper was the reason it became an historical place, a historical place. Then our third pastor, A.W. Brown, fought to keep the highway from going through the middle of the church. So it got notoriety for that too. Right, exactly. Right. I, I don't think I answered your question, but I mean, we, we talk about, you know, the crazy stuff that goes on, not just with Trump, but in state government, local government, sure. et cetera. And I mean, it's just a, I, I think it's a part of ministry. It shouldn't be that way here in Richmond, just because we have a progressive black seminary here. But I, it still is, there are people who are afraid to talk about, you know, I mean, how do you talk about, how do you not talk about Jesus, who pretty much was murdered for preaching and trying to liberate poor people? Come right. on now. Yeah, so that's the, um, you know, any other version of Jesus is is um, sanitized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I, I call it the Kenny G Jesus. So <laughs> we do we do a play. Um, it's a dramatic presentation that we do every Saturday before Easter. We've done it for the last seven years. Everybody's black. Our Jesus is black with long dreads. Mm -hmm. The whole nine yards. So it's what we're trying to do is show our young folk that there was some some color yeah. to the people. Um, so you're not showing passion of the Christ? No, we don't. No, we we do our own passion of the Christ. Yeah, no, we don't. We don't show it. Okay. Well, we're gonna jump right into the next segment of what's your privilege? And what's your privilege is an opportunity for all of our guests to explain how they have privilege and what they do to disrupt the dominant narrative in their roles day to day. I'm going to open up the floor to either Ty Keene or Tyrone. Who wants to go first to talk about your privilege? Uh, I mean, I can go first. Go ahead, Ty Keen. So I'm a man. Boom. <laughs> uh, that's privilege. My education, mm -hmm. privilege. Having a bonus father is what I call my stepfather. Hmm. 
that's definitely a privilege because that's afforded me some opportunities. You know, I basically have three families, right? Like I have a maternal family, a paternal family, and then my stepfather's family. So that's privilege. Education, economics, Mm -hmm. financial. I, I have some financial privilege. So how do you use those privileges in your work? So part of it is just using uh, the platforms and the relationships that I have Mm -hmm. to help other people that may not be in that space. And so like Chelsea, you had posted something on social media last week about man interrupting. Mm -hmm. And so like I've ever since then, I've tried to be very cognizant of it. Right. Mm -hmm. I've also tried to be very cognizant of the words that I use. Mm. And so instead of like, Slaves, these are enslaved people. Instead of homeless folks, these are people who are experiencing homelessness. Right. Because I don't think we are defined by our circumstances. Right. And so I think that using my privilege to display empathy to other folks can empower them, but also help help people that may have more privilege than I. Right. Say, you know, I see that person as a person, so um, the way I interact with them. And so, you know, I'm sure we probably get into this in a little bit, but. That's what it boils down to with like relationships with police officers, right? Mm. Like an implicit bias. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you start seeing people as people, you know, you say, oh man, I can't treat that person like that. But if you're just like, oh, that kid, I can't wait till you turn 18, mm. um, you know, it's completely different. Then your ass is mine, quoted by RPD. Mm-hmm. We still don't know the officer's name because our mayor and Richmond Police Department would rather protect the officer than protect our students but to you tyrone what is your privilege? i almost want to say second to everything you just said to be honest <laughs> i mean you know being a being a man being i also well i wouldn't say i have a bonus father my my biological father pretty much died and was not a part of my life so whether it's through you know through positions mm-hmm. i think um there's definitely privilege. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I've learned, you know, in, in serving on a board is I, I do realize that people will do certain things for you that they won't do for other people. Right. And all of those examples are teaching tools, yep. you know. So if you even would try to do something for my kid in school, it shows me that you can do it for somebody else too. Mm. And so those are the lessons that I'm learning. I I, I too saw the um, the tweet last week, and I actually had to ask myself, do I do that? Do I do I cut across? Do I steal ideas? <laughs> try to say they're mine, and um, you know. So you know, all of these are you know they are um, privileged. But I think the thing that jumped out at me was in my position as an elected official that can be abused the same way you can abuse being a man, right. same way you can, you know, so you can take advantage of these opportunities. Right. For all of those that don't follow me on social media, the man interrupting that was brought up is a term that was actually created by White House women officials during the Obama term. And they were saying during certain meetings, nobody would actually recognize or acknowledge their ideas. And it would end up being the same thing that was celebrated when it was coming out of a man's mouth. So the women and the Obama administration, instead of just yelling about this, they became, they came together and began a strategy. 
that strategy was to just repeat what the other woman had said and continue that around the table until it was very obvious that they were just amplifying the voice of a woman. Obama actually recognized this and used that as a model that he needed to make sure that he was uplifting and actually acknowledging the input that was coming from women. So this manterrupting is a term that I was ranting and raving about last week because I'm a woman and that's my experience in the world is getting manterrupted even in the work that I do around racial equity because sometimes we forget that there is a gender dynamic in racial equity. And I, I want to really lift uh, your church as well and what you're doing over there, Tyrone, because Race Capital, we're putting on, uh, we put on a documentary, No, the Rape documentary last week. And you were one of the first people to hit me up and say, hey, we brought this film years ago to our church as well as the producer, the filmmaker. And that right there just reminded me that you are coming from a social justice lens, from a faith lens. This documentary is radical. It is very front-facing about Black queer film reality around rape, as well as includes the artistry and expression of a Pan-African view. So it just really is a great moment to hear those voices. And the fact that you've already brought that to your church has already been part of your experience with your congregation made me understand and see you a little bit more. So before you leave out of here, Tyrone, anything you want to tell the folks about how to follow you, keep up with your campaign? All right, so you can follow me, I think, on Instagram at Mount Henrico, Twitter, Tynell, T-Y-E-N-E-L 12, the number 12, and our Facebook is just Tyrone Nelson, or our campaign um, piece is Friends of Tyrone Nelson. So what should we know about the budget? So we vote tonight, which would, once this air, should already have passed, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And um, the the good things that we we we're excited about real estate tax rate is eighty seven cent same tax rate has been for the past forty years mm-hmm. uh, seventy seven percent of every seventy seven cent of every dollar in Henrico County goes to public education and public safety um, we have fully funded the request passed forward by the superintendent so every dollar that the superintendent and the school board have uh, requested. Um, we are fully funding it. We've got a capital budget that's $322 million. It's the largest capital budget in uh, Henrico County history. It includes the building of two uh, high schools simultaneously. Also, a couple million dollars in there for Henrico Aquatic Center that'll be located in Eastern Henrico. Also, we're raising the BPO BPO tax, trying to increase that to $400,000 in gross receipts. So we're trying to make sure that our small businesses are getting some benefits from being located in uh, Henrico County. Mm -hmm. We're expanding our our, our REIT program, which is our real estate tax advantage program for seniors, to make sure that the maximum income at this point is $75,000. We're putting money uh, into our technology fund, and I can go on and on and on about all the things that we're doing in Parks and Rec, et cetera. But it's a really solid budget that I think will help uh, Henrico County citizens continue to be excited about living, working, and playing in Henrico. Just real quick, if there's anything that I'll be excited about, we have completed over 300 projects at the tune of about $70 million. On our schools in the past six years since we passed the meals tax, which I was a major advocate of, we're getting ready to build a new high school 
in Hollow Springs that are open in uh, September 2021. Mm-hmm. So we'll start clearing the land. Uh, Dory Park, which is also in my district, by the end of next summer, will have had $6.2 million of additions, whether it's um, tracks or new ballparks, new ball stadiums, etc. Mm. Last summer, we hosted a um, 4th of July fireworks event that had over 20,000 people. Mm. We we built a state-of-the-art library in Verona mm-hmm. that um, in 2016 was noted as one of the top eight new libraries in the world. It is nice. And so um, that's just a few things. I mean, I feel like we've done a lot of things. I'm excited, and um, hopefully I'll be around yeah. uh, for a lot longer. Well, you better go ahead and read off your list of accomplishments. I love hearing all of that. And uh, your election isn't until November, so maybe come back and see us before then. Yeah, you, you have me. I'll be back. Awesome. Yeah, Thank yeah. you so much, Tyrone. Thank you. Have a great one. All right, Tykeen. So hearing Tyrone and the split on the board and Henrico reminds me a lot about what's happening here in Richmond. Sure. And also just thinking about the split on the Richmond Council, I don't, I'm not very hopeful with these budget conversations. How's your energy around that? Why aren't you hopeful? Man, watching city council last week and there are obviously some people that are just not even listening to the over 100 folks that came in at city council talking about they want better schools. Even if we can't agree with how we're going to get there, we got to do something about that. And I think everyone at this last city council that happened on the 21st left mostly with the taste in their mouth about the disrespect that Reva was having instead of, hey, we all come for schools. We're all coming for this bigger budget conversation. Yeah. So I wasn't there last night. I have a standing commitment on fourth Mondays, but from what I've gleaned so far from the meeting, I read it a little bit differently. Okay. I think that some of those folks who were in the no camp, mm-hmm. now they have some political cover to vote yes or mm-hmm. to compromise. And um, I think at this point, the mayor is probably going to play a little bit of hardball because at this juncture, they haven't come to a consensus on any amendments. Right. And so he's kind of like, Y'all don't have a plan. I have a plan. You may not like it, but otherwise, I mean, I'll just prolong this thing to May 31st and then you have to go with my plan. Right, right. So at this juncture, I don't see how they can. I think we're going to have the mayor's budget mm-hmm. mm, okay. because he can veto it. And will they get six votes to override his veto anyway? That's true. That's true. So I think there are a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of things happening behind the scenes, but I believe that Folks now have some political covers to say, hey, like the people want this. So my constituents want this. Right. And and this that cover that you're talking about, that's the people showing up, showing up, allowing their voices to be heard. Right. And saying what district they're from. Sure. Making that known, knowing that even though you're not allowed to talk directly to the council person during public comment. Sure. Which was a big <laughs> contention last night. But yeah, coming down and, and talking about that encourages that shift for this political cover that you're talking about of yeah and i mean to me it's like we got mike allen and cynthia that seem open and ready to this budget and this political cover you mean would be for these other counselors so i think right now i mean counselor jones said that he's willing to do a dollar 29 even though he submitted a dollar 25 amendment he said he was willing to do a dollar 29 we know the hard nose are trammel and gray Mm -hmm. and so i think that you're basically 
if you look at closer to yes would be Newbill and Robertson. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle you have Hilbert, Addison, Larson, and Agilesto. Mm-hmm. And so some of those people, I think you just have to show them that, hey, this is the will of the people because we actually have the power. Mm-hmm. And so there's truly power in organizing and allowing your voices to be heard because like we have a representative government. Like you don't go there to do just whatever you want to do. Like you right. represent your constituents. And I think like there's this huge misconception in this city that so many people are anti this budget. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've seen in my research and the conversations that I've been having, they are a group of folks who are who sometimes can be very combative. Mm-hmm and unwilling to compromise in any way. And they continue, like they go in every social media group and on every social media platform. Mm -hmm. And they just keep like having these circular conversations. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a silent majority in the city right now. And in some ways as a counselor, I think folks weren't willing to just follow the mayor because they don't believe he has a political mandate in the city. You know, he won in 2016. Mm Mm-hmm with about, what, 36% of the vote. Right. And so they say, well, he didn't win my district, so why am I going to support him? Right. But if the people look like they are actually supporting him, they have no choice because, you know, Reckoning Day comes in November 2020. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So we need people to have their voices heard if they want to move and shift here in the city. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Tykeen, for coming to join us. Will you come back again, especially because you came late? Usually. Hey, so the Uber driver, <laughs> the Uber driver got lost. I'm not going to let you blame it on, on those folks out there trying to make some money on their hey, parasol. Hey, That's I'm, just not. All right. I'm just telling the truth. Call a spade a spade. <laughs> thanks so but much. But yeah, I'll, I'm happy to come back. Yeah, cool. Well, we'll have you back. Kat, thanks so much for holding it down. And we'll catch you all next week here on Race Capital. Fight the power! Fight the power! Fight the power!